This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome, everybody, back to the Domcast. Episode 14, we are back here with our special guest from last week because it went so well, and y'all were enjoying it, and I was enjoying it, so, you know, why hide it from the world? Say what's up, <laughs> NBA Storyteller. I've been here the whole time. I never left. I've been sitting here waiting for this. <laughs> right, right. We just come back every Sunday. I just I just pay him a visit through Discord, and uh, we get to talk hoops for, you know, an hour or however long it goes, wherever the conversation goes. But, uh, yeah, no, last last week was awesome. Um, it was what I was looking for in a podcast because I went back throughout the weekend. I listened to it, and then I listened to it again, and then I listened to it again after that. And I was like, fuck yes, this is what I was looking for. And so... Yeah, we're, we're going to bring this guy back. And, uh, yeah, you know, talk some current basketball. Talk, uh, you know, like tonight we had the, the Nets and Clippers and, you know, whatever other topics that me or him think about throughout the week and whatever topics you guys might bring up as well because I did kind of do a little mailbag thing on Instagram and Twitter. So uh, if you got some curiosities, we will try to explore those. Well, either way, I think we're going to uh, start in the most logical place, which would be interesting observations from the week uh we could start from where we just were with the clippers and nets because that's a game that both of us just got through peeking at so uh i'm interested in i'm always interested in hearing what you have to say and uh what what do you got for uh, observations i think i i think you should start this you take it and i'm gonna fill in my little part that i have because i have one thing to to talk about but i want to hear your general take uh, from a little bit more of a knowledgeable basketball perspective, and then I'm going to nitpick it. So, what what was right, your right. take? Um, well, it depends on where we're going. I mean, obviously, my team collapsed today, epically. We uh, played the Pelicans. We had a safe and sound 24-point lead, I think, in the third quarter. And uh, <laughs> and I, I, I felt good. Like, I was doing other things. And then as I was doing other things, a notification just, bing, pops up on my iPad and says, Brandon Ingram nails line drive three or something like that. As Pelicans climb back in, and I'm like, here we fucking go again with Boston shenanigans. Um, Jason Tatum, you know, goes clutch for a, a little bit. He may or may not have traveled on a great spin move to take the lead, I think. Zion is a truck. Nobody can stop him, even though they know what he's going to do every single play. And, uh, yeah, we, we collapsed, you know. our uh, yeah, Last week we had, a, we had a tidbit about you saying that players under 6'4 or 6'6 were not going to serve a purpose. I don't remember the threat. It's about ten years. Ten years. Yeah, and uh, you know, I'm a a Kimba fan. I'm a Kimba fan, man. It's a great teammate. Um, But I said last week that the bar was kind of low for for the for these. But not that I'm phrasing it wrong. Not the bar is low, but the room for error is very tiny for players that are small. They're tiny for tiny players. And Kimba Walker's coming back from an injury hasn't looked great this year. So you know he's effectively earned the name Cardio Kimba. So and we lost that game. So that's a very long winded uh, way to go about it. Uh, what else did we see? I saw... Is it Cardio Kimba, or wasn't it Cardiac Kimba at some point? (laughs) 
Hey, you know what? I didn't even realize that the, that's what they were playing off of. Now that you break it up, okay. it was Cardiac Kimba. And uh, now they're calling him Cardiac. I thought, you know, I was only thinking about it in the lens of him just running around right now and not doing a whole lot to impact wing. I was not thinking about the play. Wow, that's genius. So, yeah, Cardiac Kimba is Cardio Kimba right now, according to Twitter. Always, that's happening. I always hated that name. It's just the first thing I think of is with Cardiac is Cardiac Arrest. So, and it's like, you know, heart disease and all the heart problems people have in this world i don't think of the when you say cardiac it never had a good connotation for me so um if they're adjusting to cardio kimba more power to cardio kimba and is i don't know it sounds like he's got a time or something yeah. but it's like I'm, you, you, I'm happy with that yeah you, you've got a you've got a point there i'm sure there's other nicknames out there that don't necessarily make sense but we've collectively decided to run with it because it sounds good um so i guess that's what's happened with, with cardiac that's a whole show right there nicknames <laughs> absolutely oh yeah that's an entire thing yeah if, if y'all want to if y'all want a nickname show let us know we'll we'll pop that in one day um but yeah earlier this week i watched joel and bead uh you know score 50 and 17 as if he were in practice because the bulls didn't necessarily have anybody half his size so that was a thing um but more recently we just got done with a with a very entertaining clippers and nets game sans one of the nets big three and me and you were kind of talking about them before we got on uh, and it's interesting. That was the Nets sweeping the Clippers, I believe. They played them a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, they won that game. And they just won this game without Kevin Durant as well. Kyrie and Harden made the Clippers defense look like a mess. So just the entire game, just inventing crafty ways to score. It's beautiful. And halfway through that game, I realized, oh, wait, they don't they don't even have their what, what, what could be a leading scorer in the NBA. They don't even have that guy. Um, their defensive activity has gotten a bit better. DeAndre Jordan looked, for him, he looked great tonight. And then it all culminated with Patrick Beverly, which is a topic I actually want to get to today because I want some of perspective on that. But it ended with Patrick Beverly, another questionable Patrick Beverly play. And Jeff Green may or may not be out with a bum shoulder. And that would suck because he's uh, very integral to their, you know, small ball defensive game plan. So we'll see what happens with that. We have no information. Um, but Nets and Clippers was fire. I've always looked at Jeff Green as, like, I'm sympathetic to Jeff Green because he looks like somebody who, I mean, God, I'm not I'm not Bill Simmons here where you change it about your own basketball experience. I'm talking about professionals here. But he just, I, I, I sympathize with him because he seems like he just doesn't care sometimes or that he just doesn't believe in himself. And then sometimes when he actually cares, he shows what he could have been, what he could have consistently have been. But he's just had this roller coaster, this floundering career in the NBA from team to team and every once in a while just like just a bit of light and we get our hopes up about Jeff Green but you can't get your hopes up about Jeff Green you don't you can't do it so you just got to remember the the mean right whatever the median is whatever it is you don't get your hopes up about Jeff Green that's a rule all right that's it and then DeAndre okay. Jordan uh I don't know what it is, but I feel there's like some sort of empathy or like I feel sorry for him constantly. I feel like he's always worried he's going to mess up and he's become so used to getting barked at or yelled at by these amazing players, whether it was Chris Paul or James Harden. I was watching and it's, I just feel bad for him a little bit. So whenever he has a good game or like that putback that was clearly not fully an intentional putback. Not at all. Not at all. I'm like. Not only was I like, oh, that's funny. Look at him. He made a putback in, like, by accident. But you could see almost the rest of the team was kind of like, oh, look at that. Good for him. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, good for you, DeAndre. You won us the game. Great. 
but not like this. The the cheering and the celebration for somebody who had full intent, you know, like Kyrie would have hit that that three or something like that. Anyway, those two players, right, right. Jeff Green and DeAndre Jordan, are just are a trip to me. So yeah, okay, please continue. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. No, on the topic of DeAndre Jordan, I didn't have that exact thought about him. I wasn't looking at it through that lens at all. But I did see in, in terms of like pressure, you know, playing with all these good players. And for DJ, it's been throughout his career, but specifically right now, you're on a team with three superstars. There was a specific pass this this play or this game. Uh, I think it was James Harden to Bruce Brown. I, I think that was it. And it was like a, it was a dime. It was kind of just one of those great James Harden setups. And Brown goes for the floater. And it just just dances on the rim, goes in and barely pops out. And I was just thinking in my head, like, wow, the pressure that it must be to be a role player on this team. Because if Kyrie, KD, or Harden set you up, you don't want to be the guy to mess it up. <laughs> like you're saying with DeAndre Jordan, basically. Like you don't you don't want to be the guy that that loses a, a DJ or sorry, a, a Harden alley or just a beautiful feed. And that did happen one time this game. So, um, yeah, I, I can kind of see what you mean with DJ. I don't know what exactly it is. With him because like i said he's 32 years old now that's not it's not necessarily old and he hasn't had injuries throughout his career he was in lob city and he was not one of the players that was constantly dealing with you know surgery but uh he seemed to have washed up a bit quicker than you know than your average guy and uh despite the bright spot tonight yeah it, it, ha- it has been strange because you haven't when was been able- when was his peak? when was his defensive peak what Defensive peak? I, uh, I would well, say like, peak was probably the DeAndre Jordan like renaissance. When did we? Was it when he made that All Star team? Just kind of cause like when <laughs> was that moment where we were like, this guy is good. Look, <laughs> the year that and I want a year on this. The year that Doc Rivers uh, said that he should be defensive player of the year. Doc Rivers, so that would have been the year. That was around 2015. 2016. It was around that time. That's I remember. Trade, I don't remember. Trade mess. Sorry. With the Mavericks, was that that whole year? Yeah, they tried to get him in the summer of 2015, I think, and then the whole chair incident happened. That was incredible. Yeah, that was summer 2015. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, so that would have been the 15, 16 season. So around that time, you're asking about his peak and uh, whenever yeah. he made that All NBA team. It's it's around that time. That's when. The DJ DJ was was more than you know posters. He had the posters, but I don't know. I, I I have a feeling you've always been skeptical about DJ. That's that's what this that's what this is giving off. That's the vibes this is giving off. <laughs> I feel like I'm trying to I'm, I'm actively trying to do that. Give those vibes off. He okay because I remember when Mark uh, Cuban said something like you could be the next Shaq or something like that, and oh. he said when he was trying to get yeah DeAndre Jordan to Dallas. Somebody released that or said, you know, they have big plans for him. They told him he could be the next Shaq. And I'm just thinking, like, we all see the same guy, right? Like, this is clearly <laughs> a head game for DeAndre Jordan. And should at – what, at what point do we all just play along? Like, yeah, you could be good. Or do we – you know, or, or, or does somebody come in in his camp or close to him and be like, no, you just need to focus on these two things you do very well. You know, and – I, it, it just, it, it became, it, it really jumped the shark on DeAndre Jordan around that time. And I don't know if that got to him where he should have just been happy with, he, with what he was doing in his life. And he just got a little ahead of himself. Very much like we got people like, uh, what's the guy's name? Chandler Parsons. Remember that guy? Even yeah. back to the old topic of modern day Isaiah Thomas. 
at a certain point you just get to people you believe that you have a higher a higher ceiling and you don't and i don't know if that's a good thing to continue to believe in yourself and believe that you can be anything in the world that you want to be i don't i think when you are in professional sports or even in just professions high you know you're late night talk show host you know if you're not going to get the main talk show slot at 11 30 just be happy with the one at 1 30 just be happy you don't always have to move up you don't have to move up you need to realize where your happy medium is and you don't have to explode and be a superstar someday deandre jordan i hope you're watching just be happy man <laughs> i'm sorry okay, yeah yeah, the, yeah it's a, it sounds like uh it sounds like you've had this thought many a times when teams have given contracts to certain players when they maybe didn't have that ceiling that the team was hoping for when they paid x amount and you know you, every and then at that point that player becomes a massive disappointment because their production says this but their you know their number the contract says this and so i guess yeah that sounds like that sounds like the place that this is coming from we're, so you weren't happy at all when the warriors were going to uh when they were they approached dj we, that was a time right there was a time where you got yeah, there was a time there was a yeah. time and so you weren't you weren't on that train uh i i, I just have to i have to triangulate for that time but that i can't if that was a time where we just hadn't seen much success we were happy for anything i was happy for anybody just being interested in coming yeah but true. I mean, there was a different time in Warriors basketball that people just don't even connect with. Nobody wanted to come, but we're just rehashing old topics here. Yeah. But to continue rehashing old topics, Isaiah Thomas, man, like the world set that man up for failure. And I watch him every day just and people just saying, oh, you know, get him on a team now. He'll be a spark plug. <sighs> he had an existence. His existence was supposed to be a similar existence as Nate Robinson. And Nate Robinson is a great basketball player. He did the same thing on every team. He'd come, he'd be a spark, he'd give you something interesting to look at or something fun, like it was a, I don't know, like a circus. And he never got ahead of himself or nobody ever gave him the reins to a team. You know, I think on a, in certain situations, he probably could have done very well on certain teams and gotten some wins and averaged some points. But Isaiah Thomas was set up. It was a big setup. And then they started floating, does he get a max contract, right? Yeah. He started believing he deserved a max contract. And I knew it was at that point it was over for that man. Because everybody was laughing at him, thinking that he believes he deserves a max max contract in the NBA. Where there's giants. Literal giants. And I tried to say, I, think, I, don't, I don't think I got to this point last time, but... Yeah. People don't understand. These are giants from all over the world, right? I mean, this is such a tangent. Can I go on this tangent? No, go ahead. Yeah, go wherever it goes. Okay. Yeah, we got There's a lot of these, well, a lot of these mythical stories about you know uh, soldiers who were found. You know, they were fighting in the the caves of um, Afghanistan, right? They were looking for Osama bin Laden and the Taliban, and that they encountered giants, right? There's all these like these little. You know, internet stories, right? And I always love these stories about giants. There's these soldiers, they're doing some interviews. They're like, yeah, we came upon a cave and it was, you know, a giant walked out and we ran and we shot and we killed them, all this stuff. It was like some mythical story. And I'm thinking all it takes is you take Bobon, right? That's the guy's name, right? Yeah, yeah. Pop him up, stick him in a cave and happen up on him unexpectedly, you are going to believe in giants. You will believe in giants. 
I'm telling you, you put Serge Ibaka and Boban, and who's that other guy I was watching the other day? Some God, what is that guy's name? Oh. Forget his name. But they are they're they're anomalies. They're 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 not normal, right? So you stick <laughs> these guys on a basketball court. They know how to play. They can shoot with this little ball that barely fits in their giant hands. And then you expect some five for five guy to exist in that reality every day. It was over. They said Max yeah. I said this guy's career is over. And it was. One of the few right. things I Right, right. See, this is this is why we bring storyteller on the show. Uh, what are we in? We are we are fifteen minutes in, and you've got the uh, you you've got the comparison. You've got that great. I don't know what this you call it, analogy comparison of of our giants in the game encountering them in caves. That makes you believe in giant. Yeah, see, this is this is why you're here. This is exactly why you're here. Uh, this is ahead. why basketball. Maybe the Manute Bowl connection in the beginning. When he was being my my first player I ever saw really in person. But it just realized these are this is a different. It's it's not cruel. It's not cruel. I mean, it's all by choice, but it's like any six foot ten person on this earth is going to be dominant. At this point, in today's world, is going to be dominated by, you play basketball? You play basketball? You yeah, play basketball? absolutely. Like, it's just, and I think, I don't know, I gotta find, I can't, I can't just come on your podcast here and just um, drop information that's incorrect, but there was a statistic that I saw that I don't fully remember, and it was about the amount of seven-footers in the world compared to the amount of seven-footers that play NBA basketball. And it's some huge percentage, or at least in the United States. Like, the amount of seven-footers that exist, and I'm not talking about thyroid conditions, you know, the old world's tallest man who was half cane, you know, or had a big uh, extra bone sticking out of his knee, that kind of stuff. Not those old kind of healthy seven footers that exist tons of them and un it uh it was kind of unbelievable to me how many of them actually end up playing in the nba or play professional basketball at some point so it's like i mean yeah now we're getting the full range of giants from around the world and they can shoot i don't know why we we don't even talk about Kevin Durant being seven foot, but he's seven foot, right? Like he is. He's a yeah, seven like foot. Literally, yeah. Before we got on the, sh- yeah, actually, I think the first thing I mentioned, yeah, the the, the Nets miss their seven foot shooting guard. Basically, seven. you might yeah. as well, yeah. <laughs> basically, you might as well. Can you tell the difference when you're on the court against them? That's seven. That's seven feet to you, basically. <laughs> when yeah. he's shooting over you. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, yeah, that's. There's more and more Kevin Durants out there. Eventually, they're coming. It'll be all that. So okay. Right. But the game in general. Uh, I, I'm fascinated by the, the, the Nets. They they get my view every time that there's a game on. I don't watch a lot of other games other than Warriors games. And like I was mentioning, the games that maybe precede them. Um, but the Nets, it's worth it. It's definitely worth it. It's a show. I like that cast. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> just just back, well, I'm definitely going to circle back to the Nets uh, on the Isaiah Thomas point because that is a pet peeve of mine that I see it pop up on Twitter all the time. Anytime something bad happens to Boston, it comes back to the, oh, this is karma for how they did Isaiah Thomas. They ruined his career. They did it. Okay, but my my whole, if I have videos. I'm so glad I've been, I'm happy that I have my opinions like documented from years ago because I have videos of when that free agency was happening and that draft was happening. And I said many times, I was like, people used to call me out like support of my own team because I didn't believe in the Isaiah Thomas Celtics. I used to say, this is not the guy. That's taking us anywhere. And so he gets injured during that playoffs. Whatever happens, happens. And I always wonder, like, 
was and things haven't gone great for Boston since then. Whatever, that's another conversation. Were they supposed to give him a max contract? Like, was that the, honestly? Do you believe, as you you non-Celtics fans that talk about this subject, was that the best thing to happen there for the team to give him a contract or do what we did and get Kyrie? It didn't work out. But from that vantage, from that point, I was happy as hell when we traded Isaiah Thomas, and I like the guy. I don't want him to turn this into Isaiah Thomas slander pod. But I was happy. I was happy when we did not max that. And I know he he had that comment about back up the Brinks truck. I'm sure you probably heard that or uh, encountered that around the time. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, I was, but you know, yeah, I just had to get that off my chest because people always talk about Boston like they're the villains in that story. I'm like, you would want, you would not have wanted your team to lock in to Isaiah Thomas for the next four or five years either. At that point, you you probably wouldn't have. You could say whatever you want. You know, you can be holier than now. You probably wouldn't have wanted that. But anyways, yeah, you know, to the present. Um, talking about Brooklyn, yeah, we were we were chatting before we got on and, you know, discussing a little bit about how we had somewhat parity last year when the Warriors break apart and everyone says that, oh, we don't like super teams, we don't want super teams, we wish the big three era would never come back. But the Warriors, I don't know... Th- the exact ratings, you know, what the Warriors had, but I know they were must-see TV the entire time before they had KD, when they had KD. The Nets right now, with the most offensively talented big three, are must-watch TV. Even if you think they're about to sweep the East, if you think they're going to ruin basketball again, they're must-see. They're fascinating. So I'm fascinated maybe for different reasons than you. Um, you know, offensively, obviously just watching, even without Kevin Durant, watching Kyrie and Harden together just create things is great. Watching how they, you know, patch up their defensive woes, that's been fascinating to track that progression. So that's what keeps me interested. Um, but I'm assuming since you were about to bring that up, you had you had a little bit more on must-see TV in Brooklyn. Well, that's, it's, it's really interesting because when Katie went to the Warriors, there was, there was a collective... Like just acceptance, like that it would work. Um, even if you hated it, they immediately people thought it was going to be a dominant presentation on the court every night, one way or another. Yeah. They knew the culture of the Warriors. They knew what Steph Curry the type of person he was on the court. Like they understood what could happen, and I feel like people accepted that, and, and, and it immediately brought out the um, the opposition. The, the negativity, the people who didn't like it, right? If you present something that's great, then you can immediately say, well, I hate this thing, right? But if you present something that's kind of questionable, which I think is what the Nets have been, especially since they didn't even have Harden at the beginning, like it's developed into this big three. It wasn't some master plan that started on day one. It's just kind of been this messy, like, uh, snowball, right? It's just, it's really building just over, you know, even with the injuries, this is like two, three years in the making at this point. Um, yeah. It's harder to immediately hate it, I think. Um, and I feel like I'm I'm developing a healthy NBA fan fear of the team in terms of like their, their potency and just how they can dominate. Um, and that's a, I'm just being honest, as a Warriors fan, I'm just thinking, wow, like this team, like I've never, I, told, I said this last week, I never, when the Warriors played the, the Thunder, I never felt confident they were going to win even in their 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 shining moments never thought they were going to win but they always figured out a way to do it um watching this team develop i'm thinking wow okay like this is something that's growing and when you're growing in front of an audience um you bring people through a process and it's harder to hate when you see something developing when you see james harden who was being vilified 
just weeks ago come onto this team and find this particular role that's very, very him, but also fits with these other guys and win games, it's hard to hate that. It's hard to hate it, and you kind of just start to enjoy it and not question it. That's where I am. I'm not saying I'm a fan of the team, but I don't hate them, you know? So it's like that initial blow of hate that can dominate a narrative that took over the Warriors when KD joined. I don't think that wave was there because people questioned whether it could work. They thought it was going to just implode. The Nets still may implode. Who knows? Like, that's all part of it. But watching a process of growth, we're just human. We're watching it, and it's 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 more um, relatable, I think. Um, so I don't hate them. I kind of enjoy them, and I kind of I kind of I kind of wish them the best in this particular moment. You know, I hope they pull it together to some degree, just for history's sake. If they just flame it, what right. is that? What is what good is that for our discussions in three, four years? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah no, I, I get what you're saying. That you put that beautifully because we've seen, you know, we've seen the the super team attempts, and most of the time it succeeds. And I think off the top of my head, <clears throat> this is probably the first one of its kind in in the way it came together because we came in, like you said, people were inherently cheering for. Awkwardly enough, Kevin Durant, after all the years of hate for, for joining the Warriors, he made a lot of people happy by leaving and breaking it up. But not only that, of course, the Achilles happens, and before him, we hadn't really had an example of a guy coming back from an Achilles and being even somewhat... I mean, you could say Dominic Wilkins, you know, that thing happened, which one day we'll talk about that, because I, I want to know what the hell happened there. I, I wasn't there to experience it. But KD's come back, and he had that injury in his prime, and he may look better this season. So... That happens, and then some part through it, they get James Harden, and that's what immediately happens, is the questions, like you said. People were like, oh, they gave up all their depth. Oh, they don't have a big man. They don't have defense. There's only one ball. That one, That's I'm sure you've probably given that narrative tons of thought, because that happens quite a bit whenever we're dreaming up big threes. But yeah, the Warriors were, yeah, they came onto the scene, and that when you were talking about that, that made me think about the Miami Heat when I was a kid, and how they came together and the hate that 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 ensued and of course that had a bit more to do with the the party and the presentation of it the the lebron show and then coming and declaring seven rings and whatnot but it's because they perceived it the same way we did I, that's the miami heater such a funny story to me because as the years go on i feel like history makes that team worse and worse than it was like when you were following the nba at that time and you saw lebron james is joining Dwayne wade and chris bosh in miami that was like the most mind-blowing thing that we'd ever yeah. seen up to that point. Absolutely. Like yeah. the Celtics, yeah. the Celtics happened and they were they got old like this. Like the Celtics, yeah. they started with injuries the very next year. Here was Chris Bosch, who was in Toronto, but he was always playing at a super, super high level. Dwayne Wade in the MVP race that year. And LeBron James, the MVP at that time. That I remember I was playing NBA 2K10 at that point, and me and my friend, like, I remember for the first time putting them on a team together, and I'm like, yo, who the hell let this happen? <laughs> and so, um, you know, you come, you're, and, that, and the hate that ensued was because of that, because people felt like it was the easy way out, because people felt like it was made. People felt like LeBron, Wade, and Bosch together, this is a done deal. They don't need anything else. They're going to win this season. The Celtics are in the East, the, you know, Bulls who were surprised at you or whatever. People thought the Heat were going to figure it out. And them losing in 2011 
I mean, they still had tons of hate coming in the next year as well. But I feel like it gave a bit more of that process element that you're talking about that the Warriors never really had to go through because the Miami Heat, the, the 11 was a super collapse, crazy summer, uh, then the lockout. And then they go, they almost lost before 2012. But they put it all together. They put it all together. They put it all together for two. So they did have that process element. Um, yeah, the Warriors never had a process element. And the Nets, we're experiencing that process element right now. And especially during COVID season, it's very weird because it's still kind of hard for them to put it together. James Harden will be out for a random reason. Kyrie will be out for a random reason. Kevin Durant is out like for a random reason. I don't know how he, he strained his hamstring while he was out for health and safety protocols. I don't know how that came about, but yeah, that's all it's coming together. And uh, I think it's as James Harden puts it, we're watching scary hours develop because when they first get together, you're like, oh, Embiid's going to average 50 on them in the playoffs. And this, how are they going to stop that? As you're watching them tinker around with different lineups, you're watching them tinker around with small ball against bigs like Sergi Baca tonight. As you're watching these things come together, you're like, wow, you know, it's it's cool to watch. Like you, like you, I'm not a fan, but I do think it is, uh, I do think it's it's very awesome to watch. And people, it's funny watching people come to, to reckon with, like, wow, my team should have traded for James Harden. Like, if I'm in the Eastern Conference, because that was a thing as well. <laughs> Is everyone didn't everyone wasn't sure. When do you think it'll turn on the Nets? Is it when I don't know, they're the number one seed and James I don't know, who would slip and say something stupid like we're gonna, you know, breeze through the playoffs? Like it's who's gonna mess up and give this team uh their evil identity or like their way too confident identity because that's what we hate. We hate but we love people who tell us they're going to win. God, we love that, but we hate it. We love it. We hate it. But who's going to say it? Who's going to be that guy for the Nets? Is it DeAndre Jordan? Who's going to be like, we got three championships. <laughs> and then that's it. <laughs> but I mean, you know, yeah, I don't, I don't think to the, the, the your whole the black hat scenario you're talking about, because that's a scary thought I had tonight. I Because me and my dad, we were watching the game. And the, since the Nets were even playing, like, average, acceptable defense tonight, and their activity looks better than it did a couple of weeks ago, I was like, yo, if their defense is even average, they'll probably win this season. And this is before they get to the offseason and get to have people come jump on the bandwagon. That's what happened with Miami. Shane Battier came over, Chris Anderson. Like, these teams get better. I think that's the thing that I don't think anybody's forgotten. Super teams get better. Yeah, yeah. People people join this, and they get better than they were in the first season. So, as far as your Black Hat question, if the Nets win this season, I don't even know if they'll have to say anything, to be honest, to wear that. And maybe, like, you know, maybe they'll have a moment in the, the championship celebration, or maybe KD will say something, because, you know, KD and Kyrie, we, they are the, the media favorites to hate. So it won't take much for one of them to say something. I don't really think it'll be Harden. Harden just discovered internet as he got to Brooklyn. I don't know if you noticed, but he never tweeted when he was in Houston. And uh, now he's in, now I see an Instagram post every other night. So it's a bit different. I don't think it'll be him. It'll be Kyrie and KD. And if they've won, sorry. He didn't need to. Like him being spotted places was more, it was better for his, I thought it, it worked better. For whoever was working his PR team, like just him being mysterious worked with this whole, uh, his whole persona but i mean it's, i yeah okay so i i didn't catch it i didn't know he was popping up everywhere now in his own world yeah 
this the scary hours thing is him like he he came up with scary hours that's why the, you know this whole thing that's becoming the nets really is scary hours that's what you see on twitter I, i'm starting to see nets twitter fan pages pop up with the head of this at scary hours yeah that's harden's branding what else what else is harden branded in his career in terms of like verbally i don't i don't really know he's never really said much um but yeah so i, remember, I don't think it'll be him i remember what he said what he said it was a pre-game he was playing the Warriors in the playoffs, and he made a big, like a big presentation in his little huddle about how the Warriors weren't that good. I remember that was that it didn't really, it didn't, it didn't, uh, wasn't a marker in NBA history. But for Warriors fan, hearing his voice, because you don't, he's not verbally um, coining a lot of things or isn't the source of a lot of sound bites. But when he said they're not even that good. Like, I just stuck with everybody. Remember. You remember that? Yeah. Never forgot. Now that you say it, yeah, now that you say it, I actually, yeah, it says, yeah, 2015, James Harden says the Warriors aren't even that good. Yeah. And you know what? That's really fucking funny to look up now and given what happens in the next five years, because that, that that's dated January 20th, 2015. Right. And yeah. so he oh, loses wow. to them that year. <laughs> he loses to them in 16. He loses to them in 18 and 19. So that's even, I mean, Kevin Durant joined them, whatever. That's still hilarious. That, that's funny. So there you go. Yeah, I wouldn't remember that because I'm not a Warriors fan. That's why you're here. That's that's great. Um, so maybe he will. I don't know. Maybe maybe the, the Nets will be up like 3-2 on the Lakers or three, one or something. And James Harden slips out a, a, a quip about LeBron, you know, or something about the King. Maybe, maybe it will be Harden. You could be right here. Um, but whatever happens, whoever does it after they've won that championship and people realize, Oh wait, they're going to add a defensive player this summer. How do we challenge this the next season? Now the process is finished. They now wear the black hat. We don't know when they're going to lose again. Cause that's the thought that I had today. I was like, I didn't give them the championship this year. I was like, you know what? They're going to, it's going to take a while for them to put this together. They've put it together in year one and then they add stuff. I don't know when the next time is that they lose. Cause Giannis, Giannis has already signed his life away in Milwaukee. He can't go anywhere and start a super team. Um, yeah, that, I don't know. That's a scary thought. That's, that's a scary, scary hours. That's hard. Scary hour. <laughs> I'm glad exactly. something's being um, coined or branded around them just in terms of, how to speak about them or talk about them or remember them. Cause I think that's one of the worst things, the warriors and, and, and just teams in general recently, they're not getting a lot of good nicknames or, or players is one things, but teams, I mean, how many teams end up with an iconic nickname where we can just define them? I mean, obviously there's, a sh- I don't want to go down this list cause I'm going to forget a bunch of them, but obviously there's the showtime Lakers, right? Showtime Lakers. Right. I, I, and, I'm sure that the, he had about three or four of them that are okay. Um, but after that, like, I mean, there's a Jordan Bulls. We call them the Jordan Bulls, right? Is that, like, that's a whole era. <laughs> yeah. But where's the creativity in naming yeah. teams or giving teams, like, some sort of moniker? So I hope I hope the next dominant team gets something that can actually, you know, sustain and maintain through history. Is there somebody missing, like, some great team we had? They had a good well, I mean, game. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, you, you probably went through the Bad Boy Pistons. Now that you, now well, yeah, that but, yeah, like, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. The Celtics uh, in the '80s don't really. If they have a nickname, I haven't heard of it. Um, the yeah, Larry Bird Celtics. Uh, the Heatles, like you said, the Heat. I think you said the Heat had about three or four, but the Heatles is the one that I think people maybe remember. The yeah. Warriors. It's interesting yeah. that you say this yeah. about teams not doing 
You said you said what? The Heatles. That's the I I didn't I wasn't on board for that. That was that didn't work. Really? Heatles? Like it's just it's playing off of too many things. <laughs> it's playing off an awareness of a. It's great if your nickname can be playing off of multiple things, but then if somebody still doesn't know what one of those things are, they can still enjoy it, right? I don't know. Heatles just sounded stupid to me, but I got it. Uh, oh, okay. I understand. Yeah, yeah. There you go. I yeah, I like I liked. I mean, I didn't like the Heat at all, but that's how it's kind of how I remember them. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring up that teams don't really do, or whoever's job it is to make these names stick. Sometimes they don't do a great job because we know your your former Warriors as like what was it the Hampton Five I believe but then that, that was really... that was a lineup like that was a lineup that hit the court yeah. at certain points in the game and it was the Hampton Five it wasn't they never called the team the Hampton Team Five plus seven or whatever it was like they didn't ever do that <laughs> they tried to right. uh, super villains and other things or like I don't know it just it was. There was almost too much thought, and nobody ever just settled on anything. And maybe there's just, I don't know, nobody who can actually pluck it out and make it a thing now. Because there's just so much creativity out there. Everything just kind of goes to a certain level. It's hard to pull one thing to the top and make it universal. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a that's a good point. But I hope the, I hope um, that's it, one. I hope they I hope it sticks. I love scary hours. Like I love that as just an association with them. But yeah, exactly. Um, well, what's more scary hours right now, as we brought up at the beginning, is, again, we don't really know what's happening with Jeff Green, but that kind of brings me to a yeah, different topic with Patrick... Be- Sorry? We don't, we know exactly what's happening with Jeff Green. He's got a little <laughs> no. Well, with this injury. Oh, but I did have... Yeah, I did kind of have, like, a small... Because you said Jeff Green is one of those players you just always default to the average. You don't ever get your hopes up. Because nope. uh, young Dom, as a Celtics fan did believe that Jeff Green was our future. And I tweeted about that. Um, Rondo and Jeff Green after the Big Three era. And when we traded for him, <laughs> hey, I did. I did. We, uh, he was part of, see, everything, and, and we, we love, we love Jeff Green. No slander, but. Love him. That's why I downhill. Love him. Because he's, does, I'm just not, he just, he's not trying to play basketball. Like, he's just thinking about something else. <laughs> That's how I was. We, uh, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, we, uh, that's where everything went down in the Boston era is when we traded Kendrick Perkins in that deal for and a Robinson, by the way, who was I loved him as a Celtic. But when we traded him for Jeff Green and I was like, oh, you know, this is great because I realized the big three were aging out and I saw Jeff Green's athletic potential in OKC. Right. That's oh, what I saw. Green, yeah. And so I was like, yeah. And in Boston, I craved athleticism because we didn't really have it. Right? These guys were getting older, like I said, so we didn't really have that. So I was like, awesome. As the big three is phasing out, we're going to have Rondo and Jeff Green take over. I kind of saw it going like how San Antonio was trying to do before Kawhi split on them, how they had their big three, but yeah, Kawhi and LaMarcus Aldridge, I thought they were going to kind of take the rings. And Jeff Green had a really, really good flash back in uh, 2013 going against LeBron, that 40-point game that he had against mm-hmm. him. And yeah. I, yeah, I thought it was set that, that, that potential. But as you said, it kind of, you know, it went down to, to the average. And I don't remember even when we got rid of him. Um, and I just saw the yeah. stat today that he's played for 10 teams. I believe I did not believe that. God damn. Jeff Green has played OKC, Boston, Utah, Houston, Nets. And I, if, it, if it actually if I heard that stat right, I don't know what the other teams are. There's no way it was 10. I'll have to research that. Um well, anyways, so yeah, that was I, I. I had that thought backlogged about his Celtics days. Um, did he played for the Kings. I did want to. Jeff Green ever played for the Kings? I don't think he did. He. 
you go I'm, where you, I mean, so many about you. And then you're like, so many people have, uh, you know, went in and out of a Kings jersey. Yes. That, but no, as I type in Kings, he did not. But he did play for the Wizards. There we go. So, okay. oh God, he played for the Magic. He played for the Cavs. Okay, maybe he did play for ten teams. Yeah. <laughs> See, it's these little stints. It's these tiny stints that I didn't realize. Cause, uh, yeah, who, who's, yeah, the Wizards, Cavs. Who would care really at that point? Um, but anyways, so what I'm trying to get to here is his, his teammate. Patrick Beverly. I just kind of want to know yeah. what we're thinking about Bev, because I'm sure you—he's one of the most like polarizing players. I'm sure you have plenty, but he's got two plays now where he ended Russell Westbrook's season in you know, the Houston back then. That was like 2013, and uh, if that's a shorter location on Jeff Green, that's that's huge. I don't know when we'll get him back. Who knows if he'll be in the same rhythm? What are your thoughts on Patrick Beverly, and particularly? Is he a dirty player? Because he was just trying tonight. He was trying to set a screen on a bigger player, so he kind of went into it with some force. But also, I always say everything in life is optics, and so you see a player like Patrick Beverly with that tag. You know, if this is a dislocated shoulder, nobody's gonna care what the facts are. But you know, I'm gonna let you have the floor on Patrick Beverly because I'm sure you've thought about him more than once. I I made uh, a, a very long video about Patrick Beverly that I never never finished and never posted the video oh, at that point it's one of when I made it, I, thought, I thought that uh i was like what's the point nobody wants to see this it's like my jamal crawford video i never posted um i can guarantee you people want to see both of those especially twitter if you're yeah, going to put the jamal yeah. crawford video anywhere put it on twitter <laughs> okay see i need well i i need some there's there's some optimization things that i'm missing by the way that i need some help on but okay so uh, how do I say this? I have come full, not full circle, because like full circle, but then extra, a few extra degrees into the positive on Patrick Beverly. I'm, I, 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 I watch him play. I really don't care for him as uh, the persona, it, the, his character in basketball, right? Like I, I actively don't like his character that he plays, but. God, if he hasn't manufactured a identity and um, perceived usefulness that people in the NBA will write checks for. Um, I just want to make sure, yeah, I'm going to let you continue, but yeah, you said perceived right. usefulness. I want to circle that. Yeah, you said perceived usefulness. That's there's, a big thing that people take about him. There's a kind of, there's a, there's a, and it's, it's very similar to Jamal Crawford. There's... A caliber of team that it's like the Jamal Crawford caliber team. They, it's like they want to project to their fans that we're in this, we have a chance, and this is the missing piece that we've always needed, right? Or this is the one extra guy that's going to get us over the top. And those are the type of players. Uh, there was a period where Matt Barnes was that guy, where you know, certain teams would sign a player or they, whatever it is, they'd acquire somebody and it would just be in a, in a press release or an announcement or something like that. Um, then there's the other ones where they actually do like a jersey presentation for, you know, they bring them in, they have pictures, they interview the person. There's a, there's a level. They don't do that for everybody, every acquisition. People like Jamal Crawford, Matt Barnes, Patrick Beverly were always able to get those jersey presentations and that every new team including the warriors because the warriors had two of those three players and 
they would make a big deal and try to tell their fan base, this is the guy we needed, who's going to do it for us, right? The missing piece. And Patrick Beverly has figured out how to live in that space of being the missing piece for your team, for your team, for 15 years. I don't know how, how long he's been in the league. And he has mastered it. He called, he, I'm pretty sure he coined his own nickname, right? Mr. 94 Feet. Uh, you know what? I'm, yeah, I'm going to assume that it came from him. I didn't even know what it was until let's but yeah, just, I'm going to assume that came from let's him. Let's just assume he made it up. <laughs> he put it on a, on a hat and wore it like, it's like I want to hate him, but he knows he's so hyper aware. And the other the reason, the reason I know he's so hyper aware of his own his own personality, the own his own impact, what he can do, and what people perceive he can do, because he's constantly the agitator, right? And he knows it, and he'll call it out. Do you remember all that run up to Alonzo uh, Ball being in the league, and everybody was like, "Oh, yeah. you know, everybody's gonna hate him," and oh, because of his dad yeah. and all that crap. Nobody cared. Nobody cared. Nobody cared once Alonzo was in the league. They just let him be in the league, right? Obviously, the Laker time was something. But it's nobody was like gonna like punch him in the in the nuts because his dad said something, you know? Except Patrick Beverly. Patrick Beverly had this moment early on where it was like he told people ahead of the game, he was like, I'm gonna show him. I'm gonna welcome him to the league or some crap like that. And then he did it. Like he just pushed him over and stood over him and said, like, welcome to the NBA. Like it was a nineteen ninety five promo or something like that. It's like Patrick Beverly, you don't get to welcome people to the NBA like that. And the greatest part with Lonzo Ball was who who is famously doesn't play that part of it. You know, he's not running in to fight people or fake fight people or hold people back. He just walked away like it was no big deal. And Patrick Beverly looked like a clown. But he leaned all the way in like this was some sort of um, you know, scalp that he's just collected, you know, like, yeah, I got him. I showed that guy, you know, Lonzo's gonna remember this moment. For- <laughs> and nobody talks about it. I, nobody talks about that moment. That has not become some lore in NBA history yeah. of Lonzo Ball's welcome to the league, or this is the moment that ruined his potential. Nobody, <laughs> nobody really, re- I don't even see that moment circulated on NBA Twitter as much as NBA Twitter recirculates. I have not seen the moment. I know you're talking about Yes. And it's funny because I have the same picture of Lonzo Ball in my head, just nonchalantly kind of showing it off. Just like he does everything. He always has that nonchalant default face. That's the same one he had when Patrick Beverly made what was supposed to be an iconic moment. But as you said, you know, that was, that's his branding. (laughs) Gosh. And he, but it's like, there's an awareness that he, he knows he's supposed to go out on a limb and do these types of things. And if he stops doing it, then he's not delivering what, whatever, you know, slightly distracted owner who said let's get patrick beverly in here once like they want that what's that mc bomber wait yeah he's on the clippers now right yeah he wants that he loves that show he loves it like it's ridiculous but we can get talk about steve bomber we're still on patrick beverly here because the other part is how much he antagonizes and on the court just tries to get in people's faces and he's been trying to do it with steph curry for years but <laughs> Apparently, like, they, they're like buddies, you know, and Patrick Beverly speaks so highly of Steph Curry, and there's such, he's so nice to him, but then he just puts on the character on the court, and I I almost appreciate that more, the full awareness of his position and him holding on to it so so specifically and so, so tactfully 
to maintain usefulness and relevance. And I guess he's not a liability on the court. He's not horrible. Because that would expose, like, that overall, like, if you just, you're really bringing a team down, it doesn't matter how, what you do on the court. Like, that, people these days are going to notice that. And people are noticing that. People know what he can bring, but he's not a huge ability that his little energy moments and stuff like that and his talk, I guess, I don't know what way outweighs the other. I don't know. And I'm not even here to make that judgment. I just know he's aware that his time is limited and he needs to dig into the character um, to just maintain relevancy. But he's still in shape and he still plays hard. And we need those players for our stories. All right. I think that's good. I think I did. I think I covered that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah, it sounds like you had that one in, in the script, really. I said oh, this yeah. definitely is a part of that video. <laughs> Do you, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm putting that video out now. I'm like, <clears throat> one of these days. What you, yeah, you got to. I, I guarantee you he's a he's a he's he's enough of a hot commodity on, on NBA Twitter that people would enjoy this. All right. Patrick Beverly narrative. Um, so it sounds like you're somewhere between because I've had this discussion on on way older podcasts with different people. And we kind of said a little bit of what you said right here, where you're like, it doesn't matter what your character is. If you're dragging a team down, you're, you're not going to be on the floor. And so it sounds like you're somewhere in between like. It's like it's like he he brings the two to meet each other. So he's got the perceived usefulness, but then he has his actual usefulness because some people have come to believe that he's just not useful at all. Patrick Beverly is not useful on a basketball court, which I've never truly believed in. I just like teams have had agitators in the past, and Patrick Beverly is that the here, here's what you'll have. You'll have the thing where people say, "Oh, Patrick Beverly is supposed to be this great defender, but uh, th- back then it used to be James Harden. James Harden just gave him 40. But I would be like, that's not the greatest angle to take it from because who has James Harden not given 40 to? Like, nobody ever said Patrick Beverly could stop James Harden. Nobody said Patrick Beverly could stop said player. I don't think that's even what he's branded himself as throughout his career. I don't think he's branded himself as, I'm, I'm the Steph Curry stopper. Some, some people have had... Uh, ex-player stopper in their name before, even though they clearly weren't. Nobody's ever called Patrick Beverly the anybody stopper. That's never been his brand. Um, so I think that, and I do get what you're saying with that. And he does know his, uh, he, he knows his, his role because I'm not going to talk about where I got the information, but Beverly, from what I've, from what I've heard here, likes the matchups that he's not supposed to win. He doesn't like the ones where he has to guard someone like Steph Curry that's relatively his size. He likes the guys that he can get under, like LeBron James, like uh, Kevin Durant, like he did in that playoff series. I'm pretty sure you remember with the Clippers and Warriors. He likes guys that he can get under and bother and agitate so that if he does get 35 put on him or whatever, you know, he got his moments throughout the game. Maybe he got a couple of deflections. On Christmas Day last year or the year before that, he got that block on LeBron James, which he just ate that up. That was a beautiful moment for his branding. (laughs) But... And that's, but those are what he likes because if LeBron would have made that shot over him, whatever, nobody's going to, maybe some people would be like, you know, they'll, they'll put it out there and be like, oh, Patrick Beverly, the, the game winner was on him, whatever. But most people are going to understand that was LeBron on Patrick Beverly. No one's really going to take that, that seriously. So he likes those matchups. He does not necessarily like the ones against a guy that he cannot get under and just be annoying to because he can it's funny like we were talking about last last week with the memes Isaiah Thomas hanging on to LeBron in midair or Isaiah Thomas being posted up by Dirk there's these moments and they're funny but if something comes out of them it's a total win for him 
So him being under a guy like LeBron James, under these other superstars, yeah, it, it plays into his branding. But I think that's where I'm at. I think he's got his branding part and he's got his usefulness as well. Because I've been, uh, like I said, my takes are all out there. I've had my takes that, hey, I'd be happy with Patrick Beverly on my team. I don't think he would necessarily, he's not going to put us over the top. I wouldn't believe my management if they said this is the guy we needed. But I'd take Patrick Beverly. Yeah, as a starter. I didn't say that. <laughs> I didn't say okay. that. Specifically for what we need. No, I'm looking for a little bit something different. But I'd take him on my team, though. I'd take Patrick Beverly on my team. You... I'm, I'm guessing you feel differently. Shout out to Manscaped for supporting the Domcast, who are the best in men's below the waist grooming. We're living in one of the rare times where nicking yourself sucks more than the actual nicks, and Manscaped offers precision engineering tools to keep you in the playoffs. They're trusted by over 2 million men worldwide, and we have an exclusive offer for my listeners. 20% off plus free shipping with the code DOMCAST at manscaped.com, which is in the link in the comment section and description. I've been hooked up with all the bells and whistles of their Perfect Package 3.0 kit. I never cared for the nicks growing up, and especially not the ones I did to myself. And thanks to the Manscaped lawnmower, it hasn't happened since. The Lawnmower 3.0 is their best groomer ever, and it's their third generation trimmer that features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. AKA, grooming yourself will no longer be as difficult as delicate surgery, or hoping the Knicks make the playoffs. In addition, this trimmer comes with an LED light for a more precise shave and is waterproof to make your shower shave clean and easy. The Lawnmower 3.0 comes inside their brand new Perfect Package 3.0, which comes with everything you need to keep trimmed, cut free, and smelling nice. Because the only time must, sweat, and balls should go together is during basketball. To prevent that from happening to you in general, the perfect package includes the crop preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. They also include the crop reviver, which keeps your basketballs from sweating, smelling, or sticking. To cap it all off, Manscaped threw in two feet gifts, a pair of high-performance boxers, and a travel shed bag to store all your grooming goods. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code DOMCAST at manscaped.com with the link in the comment section and description. Once again, that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using the code DOMCAST. Your basketballs will not be disappointed. At this point, I've, I've given up on um, being completely anti an individual being on my team. There's been so many situations where the Warriors, I felt like spe- specifically brought on the player that I hated the most. Just despite me. You know, obviously that's the fan perspective, <laughs> but... At a certain point, you're just like, all right, whatever. You know, whether I was, was it, uh, whether it's Corey Maggette or Nate Robinson, that was right when I was couldn't stand Nate Robinson. They brought him on. Jamal Crawford, they brought on. Like, I mean, there's a whole series. But anyway, um, all every draft pick they ever had before 2009. Um, but I, I just, I give him his credit. Patrick gets his credit. He could be on the team. That's fine. He can't just. Play your eight minutes, push somebody down for the, you know, for the show. It's a show. Finally. So, okay, to, to close out the Patrick Beverly arc here on this podcast, is he a dirty player when he bangs Russell Westbrook's knee, when he potentially just de-lo- dislocated Jeff Green's shoulder? Is he dirty or is it just him playing the part and sometimes it happens? What is it to you? Tonight wasn't, tonight didn't seem dirty at all. I, it was weird. It, that's the play where they wanted to call for the replay, right? Yeah, they challenged it. The, uh, yeah. the Clippers challenged that. It was weird. Because like, usually when a player is asking for the, um, the challenge, there's a, there's a bit of honesty there, right? Like, a lot of players, um, they complain, talk to the refs, but they're not looking straight at their coach saying, you know, come on, 
Like, I know what's going mm. on here. And I feel like <laughs> this is a side topic here. Um, this saying, you know, when they're looking at their coaches, it's like, come on. Uh, it's guys. So it's funny because I made this observation a couple years ago, and I don't, I don't, think, I, I don't think I put it in anything, but I always watched Clay Thompson. Whenever he would, there'd be a call against him, and he would jump up and down. Not just jump up and down upset, but jump and and spin. He would almost, he would jump, you know, you're so mad you just start spinning, right? That's when I knew it was a bad call. And then I observed that on a, uh, a, a grander scale across the NBA. I don't think we talked about this last week. Did we talk about this last week? No, not at all. Okay. Not at all. It's I weird. noticed that you can tell pure honesty when the player who the foul or something was called against is jumps and spins. When they're jumping and spinning mad, believe them. Absolutely. There's no, there's nothing in faking it where you think, oh, I'll jump up and down and spin in anger. It's such a natural human thing. It, it's like, it's like you're tied up in, in your, in your um, disagreement, in your anger and your frustration, and you just got to jump and spin, right? It's ridiculous. And people will notice it at this point. I hope people notice it. If you see somebody doing that, that's the truth, right? But now it's it's been reduced to this because there's a new outlet for it. You just look at your coach, you go, yeah. which is ironic or appropriate because you're spinning here. It's like you're jumping and spinning. You know, it's like the signal for what people physically used to have to do to show that they were being truthful. But all the other faking it, if it's just arms out, if they're like, that's all lies. It's all lies. Unless they're hopping mad, it's a lie. That's a rule. That's another rule. Don't believe in Jeff Green. Don't and if they're jumping and hopping, they're telling the truth. Yeah, uh, Patrick Beverly. I think that was the topic. Yeah, yeah. yeah on he, he, no, that I, think, I think he's just. I think he's. Dude, he's making do with what he can. You know, like is he? <clears throat> is he dirty or is he resourceful? Like you know, he's trying. He's. I don't think he's physically trying to injure people. I think he's just trying to do what he expects a Patrick Beverly would do at that point, which might be dirty. <laughs> so maybe yeah. It's, yeah. it's a blurred line. Yes. It's, a, it's yes. a blurred line. I think he is. I think he. Yeah. I think he crosses the line, but that's part of the that's part of the package. Everybody knows. It. Right. Everybody knows it. So not so not that he's dirty to to be dirty on purpose. It's just that this is the character he's playing. Sometimes that character puts out a star point guard for the season, whether it was on purpose yes. or accident. It just happens. It happens yes. sometimes. Or be willing to make you know put the energy into the, the moment that may or may not do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like his, his own persona is kind of double backed on, like it's back on him. It's like, you don't know who's in control at a certain point, you know, the individual or the expectations of the character. I mean, and that's a whole like Kevin Garnett thing that we could talk about at some point, but okay. Uh, yeah. I got to write that well, down. Yeah. We're going to write KG down for a, for a later, for a later date. Okay. Um, I did want to add to your to your rules here. Oh yeah, if please. Kawhi Leonard, if Kawhi Leonard complains, it was a foul because I've heard this reiterated so many times. So you've got the twirl, you've got the actual physical twirl. But if Kawhi Leonard does, he's the one player that gets away with the this. You know, I would assume because you're you're, you're he hops, he gets he when he's mad, he, he, he yeah oh he hops, he leaves the ground. It's like. There's something that hits you when, like, you're you're persecuted incorrectly. 
it, 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 it right. makes you levitates you. It gets you off the ground. And I've seen Kawhi get the little hop. It, it may not be always what happens when he's when uh, he's um, he's uh, telling a ref or somebody that it's the wrong call. But I've seen it. I've seen him leave the ground when there was an incorrect call. Now, what mm. what specifically are you thinking about when you say he when he complains? Is there like a moment? It hits your mind. It hits oh no, your there's mind. it. I, it's any moment because anytime Kawhi Leonard complains, it's normally a, a game that Mike Breen is commentating. So I get national nationally televised, and anytime he does it because he does it so few times, it's followed by a Mike Green or Jeff Van Gundy going, "Yeah, yeah, this is a guy that doesn't complain often, so there, there's probably something there." And then they might show the replay, and then oh, hey, there was something there because Kawhi Leonard. You, you can hardly get him to react to anything. We don't need to go down that route, but we know for obvious reasons. And so when he does react, he, like Kawhi has never been branded as a complainer. Like on that scale of Luka and Trey right. to whoever. Yeah, yeah that's, that's the opposite sides. You've got Luka and Trey on one side. You have Kawhi on the other side of that scale. So that, that makes up the, the complaining for foul scale. So if Kawhi, you know, tips... Something probably happened. That's a fair assumption. That's And there's not one example in my head, like I said. It's just every single time he does it. Listen next time. Watch Next time you're watching the Clippers game, if Kawhi complains, listen to the commentator after that. I promise you it's coming. I, that's the next line. You can expect it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm i going to go on a, on a, a Warriors limb. This is, such, this is just me being a fan. I feel like if anybody deserves a little bit of that, that uh, air of not being a complainer and believing them when they say something is clay thompson that guy doesn't know he doesn't know (laughs) doesn't know how to fake it he doesn't he's such an it's for years i thought it was just an a lot of us thought it was an awkwardness to him my dog is trying to get in here Uh, he wants to get in on the convo what's that yeah has an opinion (laughs) yeah he's got always she's got an opinion she's definitely got an opinion oh she yeah um but i assumed it's gender sorry (laughs) She's not. She's not her. I know. But he's he's so genuine with his with the way he is feeling in a particular game, and it's something. And to bring us back, what were we talking about earlier? About all right. I'll, I'll have to we'll have to take a note about this. Sir. It was about talking about LeBron James. All right. I'll I'll, I'll note this down for a future show. It's something about LeBron James and Clay Thompson, but. I don't have the specifics, so we'll talk about it later. But anyway, Clay Thompson is less of a complainer than, than Kawhi Leonard, especially if Mike Breen keeps bringing it up every time that he does a game. Apparently, Clay, apparently Kawhi Leonard is complaining quite a bit if it's happening frequently during these national broadcast games, and Mike and the whole the same crew keeps mentioning it. Like, was it <laughs> yeah, because that's what I have in my head. Yeah, You're just branding it that way. All right, I'm gonna let the dog in, but I can hear you still. All right. So uh, what we're going to do here is we're going to yeah. I'm going to bring it to the, the last two topics of the show. And uh, I, this is great because I'm looking at this sheet and we still have so many that we haven't talked about. I'm just going to let these carry over from show to show because we don't have to get to everything in one pod. Um, so, you know, we'll we give the audience a, a little bit each time. But in the interest of relevance, I'm going to pick out a couple that are like relevant to this week or whatever's going on. And one of those is the Anthony Edwards obliteration of Yuta 
Watanabe, I believe. I think that's how you oh. say his name. I think it's answer. I think that's how you say his name. And I wanted to talk about it because when what I wrote that down that? and you you emailed it back, it, it, there was a line in there. I don't know what you said, but it sounded like you had a, a thought about it because I was specifically the way I had it written down was Anthony Edwards dunk equals T Mac on Sean Bradley because that's that's immediately the picture that came into my head. But when it comes to having thoughts that I would never have on terms of dunks, you're there. And so you've seen the obliteration by this point, and I want to hear you talk a little bit about this dunk and whatever thoughts you have about it, whether you have a scale for it or you have comparisons for it, whatever's there with the, I think, dunk of the year at this point. What's What was happening with you this week? What was your thought process this week when this happens? It, well, uh... First of all, are you on record saying that's so far the dunk of the year? Yeah, like I, there's not a dunk that happened this year that tops that. There's just not. It had everything. It had the, the body contact in there, the the crash to the floor, the look afterwards. Oh. You Watanabe asking for a push off afterwards. Like it just had the whole package. It's a, as Nakaya's Duncan will put it. It's a tier one dunk. Like it's there's nothing that comes close this season. I don't think. You know what the one thing is that I, I love. There's certain dunks, and this is there's one thing that will always send it over. Um, is for the person, for the dunker, right, to lose a little bit of control on the ball at some point in the delivery. There's like, and then there's like three or four of them that I've I've clipped out for something I was making a long time ago. But, um, for example, there's the Dwayne Wade dunk on Anderson Vergeau from, yeah. I don't know, 15 years ago. I don't know who that was. <laughs> but if you notice at the top of the dunk, I love it. It's just a recklessness. What you want out of a dunker is pure recklessness and disregard for any sort of rational thought. You want somebody to believe they could jump over everything and just throw the ball down over anybody. And I love when they get to the top and the ball kind of like almost separates or it's just falling around in their hand. And then when they bring it down, that's when they regain control of it. It just shows that they're almost mindless at that point. They're not even, they're just, pure instinct and it's just brutal they're not even thinking about these things um that's the one little extra bit that takes that for me like if i was going to rank all the dunks and that's ever happened and why things are over certain things that's one little detail that this didn't have that would vault it into a you know, like an all-time dunk for me um but just the brutality on the other individual you just don't get that that much. Somebody full-fledged trying to block it. And then we've had a lot of situations where the person trying to block it, obviously, you know, there's the Blake Griffin dunks where he doesn't quite get to the rim. The person's able to keep him far enough away where he just throws it in. And I, I think those are valid. I'm fine with those because they still have a sound. It still sounds like a dunk. Um, just that, I don't know, it's just the mic's on the rim at this point. But with this one, he actually got to the rim. Right, and it was directly over him. There was no question about it. There's no excuses, and just the confusion from Watanabe's face coming off the ground. All the only reason I'm telling you, like the, the, I think the greatest dunk of all time in in game was Scottie Pippen over Patrick Ewing, and that's more because of the story surrounding it, you know, and just the, the delivery, the way he was also able to tell uh, Spike Lee to, to sit the F down or whatever it was and just the stride everything took it was so fluid every part of that dunk was just it was like a river just a flowed perfectly and when 
let me tell you about this stuff. When the Scotty Pippen duck, when do you ever get the home crowd cheer? Because this was in '96 or '5 or '95. Yeah, when MJ yeah. wasn't there. '94 yeah. even. It doesn't. '94. But yeah, because MJ so, wasn't there. Yeah, so '93 it had to be yeah. next year. Whatever. Whenever it was, it was. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, those, you're, yeah, you're, I'll take your word for it. So when he, um, it was in Chicago. Mm-hmm. So you got the home crowd explosion, but you also got the main heckler from the opposing team as if you were on the road and you got to tell him to shut up and sit down. And if you get to tell an opposing audience to sit down, that's one of the most satisfying things, whether it's a game-winning shot, whether it's you just shut them up with the three or something like that, or you dunk on somebody and you look at the crowd and tell them to sit down. It's the most empowering thing that you could do in a sport is tell – 18,000 people just shut the fuck up. <laughs> they do. They all sit and slump down because they're just sad now because of what you just did. So yeah. he got the crowd, the home crowd, and he got to tell the loudest mouth from the opposing team's fan base to shut up and sit down. That doesn't happen, right? So anyway, so there's no crowd. You said there was a look afterwards. What was the look that happened afterwards? Watanabe gets up. Looks up maybe uh, if I'm maybe I'm imagining things, but maybe he was looking up at the replay, and he immediately goes like this, like signaling, oh. like he pushed off of me. Yeah, you know the excuse oh, that yeah. you were talking about. There's no excuses. Oh, right. Yeah, he, he's saying that I was brutalized, but it wasn't legal. Is what his take is. Okay, yeah. that's what that community. Uh, also, what's your opinion on um, fouls on dunkers? If somebody makes a successful successful dunk, <sighs> go ahead. Yeah. <sighs> Which dunk am I thinking of right now that got ruined within the last two or three years because there was an offensive foul and it was a brutality, and maybe it was the Tim, maybe it was a Timberwolves game, and I can't remember right now, and I can't remember the dunker, but I just remember I have the picture in my head, and somebody died, but the referee <laughs> waved it off, and so the referee has robbed that moment from nba history because every now and then you see it circulate on the internet like oh wow this i can't believe this was waved off but other than that it's not anybody's profile picture on twitter it's not rehashed in youtube video top 10s it's a moment that was stolen and so it was it was thank you yeah so look and what bothers me about that is i've seen actual moments where it was like okay i can understand if you call that an offensive foul but the ref didn't call it so specifically the one i'm thinking in my head is um this had to be 2010 because chris bosh was on the raptors and paul pierce dunks on him but he knees him right in the midsection as well and chris bosh crumbles to the ground that shit hurt i don't know if he got kneed in the sack or if it was but do you do you remember the dunk you remember that one is it in your yes. head? Yes. Yeah. And so I would have fully understood if the ref was like, ah, nah, wave that one off. You you, you kicked this man. You, that, you didn't just brutalize him. You hurt him. I could have understood that. But if somebody gets cleared or somebody gets knocked down, if somebody gets posterized, but they did not cross that threshold of, hey, he could have just hurt me with that play. As the ref, you just got to let that moment go down in NBA history. You just got to let it happen. Because... Somebody put it beautifully, because uh, there was this piss-poor attempt by a couple of people on Twitter with Anthony Edwards' donk. There was one, a uh, 
let's just call him a basketball personality that goes on and I don't know if you saw it, but his tweet caused quite an yes. uproar. He tweeted out the stat line. He's like, oh, Anthony Edwards did this dunk, but here's the stat line. So you had that side. I don't know what I don't know what clicked in his head to do that, but he did it. And then there was the other side, which was specifically like the Raptors account that was like, oh, wins over dunks. And they, you know, they showed the score at the end. But I'm going to yeah. tell you, somebody, yeah. I, I wish I could give credit here, but somebody was like, nobody is going to remember that the Raptors won this game. Nobody's going to remember that in five years. It's a regular season game between two. Right now, there's a piss poor team and then there's an average team. Nobody will ever remember who won that game. I don't remember who won most of the games I see the dunks from. And so you just got to let a moment be a moment unless there is some extraordinary circumstance. And so that was actually an and one, I believe. Anthony Edwards' dunk was an and one, and the foul was on Watanabe. If they had to ruin that with, <laughs> yeah, that's what even, that's what makes it even worse. Cause like they had, you have the picture of Watanabe getting dunked on, and he is just like, he's just like this. Like it's, it's, it has everything except the crowd, like you said, and the, the ball bobbling around, which by the way, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I think, okay, Kobe yeah. caught in, I think Kobe caught an alley like that. And I, I, always, I never knew how to really describe it. Um, but it's very simple as you just described it. Yeah, that is awesome. Ball like comes around here, the final second it goes down. Yeah, that's, that goes on. Yes. Um, but no, uh, the guy did not get assaulted. Sorry, Watanabe got assaulted. If the guy did not, if he was not in serious danger, you just got to let it go. As a ref, you got to let it go. Next play. And let that moment be the moment. And don't rob it. That's how I feel about it. And I love, and I love, you know, rules in basketball and making the correct call. But... And I'm going to find the dunk after this. That got ruined. Within the last three years, there was a moment that we would still be talking about. But I can't even remember it. Please. See? I can't remember it because the ref called it. And so I can't remember what it was. It's gone. I don't know. Those are my thoughts on that. I'm sure you have your own take. Should the ref always You're bear right. on the no, side of man. the book? You did it. Yeah. <laughs> you nailed it. Yeah. Uh, the one other addition is just the the whistle. I, I think if there's a foul on the play... Um, and the ref blows the whistle, I think that helps the atmosphere. Just something about that sharp whistle. There's the, there's the, I mean, the things you can see from, from T from home, you hear the crowd, you hear the dunk, obviously you hear the crowd and, um, the whistle is usually timed pretty well. It comes right after the dunk. And then there'll just be that, that, that extra noise. It just keeps the energy up. And what's also great about the foul is that, it lets the play simmer because it stops everything. And we just get to bask in the dunk for a, a minute. You know, we see the replays. People are taking their time to get to the free throw line. And I think it strategically done well. I mean, it's it's helped a lot of dunks just become more iconic with people's reactions. Um, well, there was the DeAndre Jordan one. Um you know the one it was on Brandon, Brandon Knight. Knight. Was that yeah. yeah? So I was God, I love that dunk. Um, like they just walked, sat around and walked around the court for like forty-five <laughs> seconds. Nothing happened after that dunk, except tight shots of reactions and the crowd and replays. I'm like, there's, a, there's supposed to be a game going on, but everybody there knows we just gotta let this thing just let it simmer, just let people bask in it. And I love that, and that's part of the that you know having the ref blow the whistle at the right time. And the sounds, the sounds, like I just love that sound. But um, without the crowd, I mean, 
I gotta watch that one again because I saw I actually saw I only saw the replays on Twitter, and I don't think I I wasn't listening. I didn't have the sound all the way up, so I don't think I've gotten a full appre- appreciation of the the sound of that dunk. Oh, um, yeah, yet. yeah. The uh, well, I would tell you, and this could be an entire topic on itself, on its own. But uh, at least the call I heard, the commentators kind of took away from it because they didn't do their job on this poster on this particular poster so yeah you already have that in your head <laughs> at least the call i saw i don't know if uh, the other broadcast had it but they did not nail it um but the sound of the rim it's one of those like punches like you know something just happened like if you were in the arena and you had your head turned when you hear that you will know something just went down <laughs> so it's that it's that type of punch um to your point of the whistle absolutely that done right that adds a lot to the dunk because in my head as you were saying that i'm thinking of the blake griffin on kendrick perkins and i have the entire audio file stored in my head and i know exactly when the whistle happens just it's a physical game then the whistle then the dunk so yeah it yeah that absolutely adds to it um and the edwards one yeah i it's clearly you have you're rating for it you need certain things to make it an all-timer in your book uh, the lack of a crowd obviously does not help here because the moment like you said with the clippers there was just a lot going on like you could pick that apart for days you see the vinnie del negro trying to hold back the the, the bench so they don't get like technical fouls yes. you see like kids like holding their head with the phones up like jesus there was just a lot deandre jordan's face karan butler walking away in yes. disgust <laughs> And I didn't, yeah. even rem- uh, I didn't even remember until you said it that Brandon Knight, yeah, they called a foul on him. Poor soul. Like, how could he have fouled him? Like, what did he do with the foul? Like, I have to go back and watch that. Where was the foul? I'm convinced maybe the ref did that just to add the whistle moment that you're talking about. Because I, in my head. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, he got he got killed in midair. I don't know how he fouled it. But maybe I'm just tripping. Maybe I have to go back and watch that. Um, But, yeah, the Edwards dunk, it's as good. I'm just gonna put it this way: It's as good as a COVID poster as we're going to get because we're we are in this era, and you can't have certain things, can't have certain elements. This is the best COVID poster, and probably one of the only COVID like all-time qualifiers I think we're gonna get. And it looks like the T Mac on Sean Bradley to me, and uh, I, I think it's up there. That's 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 my verdict on it. So I have nothing left to say on this dunk if you don't. I mean, that's the. Is that a, I could we could we could keep talking about. It. There's one thing about it. okay, and this will be quick. Um, I, I always like watching after I obsess over that moment when they're dunking on him. I like to watch back and see. I try to um, pinpoint when they made the decision that they were going to dunk, and it's when they when they when they came to their dunking intentions, and they and a lot of times you know when it's uh, like a fast break or somebody's going you know coast to coast, you see it early. Like there's an extra little step or an extra, like a, you know, a look down when they're dribbling. Like they just go into a mode where I'm just, they, you know, they've made their mind up about what they're going to do. So I love that about people like uh, John ja Morant. Like he makes a decision early. You can tell in his, in his stride what he's trying to do. And in this one, you know, uh, before Anthony Edwards got the ball, um, you saw him over there. I think he's like, on the where was he in the corner? I feel like he's in the corner. Yeah, it was on the left left corner. Yeah. When he got the ball, it, I think the decision was instantaneous. He knew what he was going to do. So I mean, he had the worst intentions immediately, <laughs> and it's it's kind of cute that the guy tried to block it. You know, I just seen like a package about the guy the day before about you know 
being one of the few Asians to be in the NBA. Well, I'm not sure exactly where he's from, but it was like a big deal. And I was like, oh, good for this guy. And then the next time I see him is on the wrong end of horrible intentions. Two things there. Um, yeah, no, because that's exactly where I was going with it. Uh, first of all, yes, Anthony Edwards had his intentions because from the moment he got the ball, and I can't, I, I have to go back and dissect it a little bit more. I don't know if it was a screen that got him open or a jab step, but the minute he took off, this was going to be a dunk or he was going to be thrown out of air to stop him from dunking. So, yeah, it was always, yeah, he, I, I hate to sound like Twitter, but he chose violence from the start. Uh, and yeah, yeah. on the second point of you just seeing this great note about Yuta Watanabe, I hope I'm saying his name right. The sad part, and I wanted to make sure I got to this, is that now he is one of the players that will probably only be known for this moment throughout history. This is his thing forever. Because there's certain players that have been dunked on, and you know nothing else. You don't know what they did, where yeah. they played. Unless something else eclipses it, of course. Maybe he has a great future. Maybe he's going to shock us. But assuming that he is the same player that he's been for a couple of years, we're never going to know him for anything other than that picture from the bottom of the baseline. That's looking up, by the way, at Edwards, just absolutely obliterating him. And so you, you, have Sean, you have guys like Sean Bradley that are known for getting dunked on by multiple people. It's not just the T-Mac poster, but that's all that he's known for. It's just always in somebody's poster you know bent down like this being destroyed basically and so there there's guys like that and i'm i'm sad i'm sad that has to happen to them because they use twitter just like us they use social media just like us they have feelings like we said giving players the ability to you know feel human and be human they see these things and i saw an nba media person tweeting out um i don't know how do you come back from this and i know he's seen that everybody's seen that and you hear your teammates whispering about this from time to time yeah you know, that's his moment in history now, probably. And there's other players like that. Um, and it's sad when it happens, but it happens. They're brutalities. And he's unfortunately fallen victim to that. I kind of, I, 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 I partially disagree. Okay, yeah, please. And I think there's been a sea change in getting dunked on. I think that... So many people have been dunked on in recent years, and there's just more prevalent people. I just I feel like there's more people interested in just devastating people underneath their dunks that it is easier to come back from. But where I agree with you is him in particular. He's I didn't I I didn't this guy I didn't clock this guy. Yeah, I, he's been how long has been in the league? A couple years. Yeah, that's the that's the crazy thing is I think he's been around for a little bit and I kind of wasn't aware. Yeah, he's been he's been around. So this is his like introduction to a wider audience. You didn't know about him. You weren't a fan. This is it. So it's going to be an uphill battle. I mean, I don't think he has to do much. I think I don't know. Like, what do you think he has to do minimum to to? <laughs> to eclipse that as what he's known for is it like perform well in in the first round of a playoff you know series that they win in five years like where he hits a big shot on three there you go (laughs) it's got to be minimum the threshold is a playoff game winner that's the threshold because people have had great performances great performances unless you're a guy like 
we all, we, we, unless you're a guy that's going to be rehashed every year, like Derrick Rose's first playoff game against the Celtics, that's always going to be remembered because it gets rehashed every time we approach that date. So unless you're a guy like Derrick Rose, nobody's really going to care about your first round playoff performance if it didn't really culminate in anything. You know, you've either got to have the name that carries it or, yeah, so minimum, he's got he's to erase that by, you know, maybe performing somewhat well but also yeah it's got to be a playoff game winner to eclipse this so this isn't the only thing he's known for it's gotta that's what it's gotta be i don't make the rules what is the minimum to just not just wipe this off your resume but just to have it as a funny thing that happened along with your career as opposed to the thing that you have to you know live down every day of your life god I don't know. I mean, I always wonder, what is that threshold? I mean, obviously, people like you can take things and run with it. You could probably, he could have a couple of good games and get on the bandwagon and put some spotlight on him. I don't know. I mean, I don't know anything about this guy's playing career. I really don't. Like, if he averages 11 and, and 6 for the next five years on a decent team, is he redeemed? <sighs> That's not going to be enough, man. I mean, no. <laughs> what a play. With no fans in attendance against the Timberwolves. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, maybe, I, maybe that'll become part of the story. That's the problem is maybe that'll become part of the story. It's like, hey, nobody really knew him before that dunk. And afterward, he made a pretty solid career for himself. Maybe that'll come up. But even the problem with that is there are a lot of 11 and 6 guys that are lost throughout history. There's plenty of them that the first time you see them is when you open up a My Team Pack in NBA 2K. It's like, hey, I didn't know this guy existed. So the problem with that is he will be an 11 and 6 guy that won't be forgotten, but it won't be because of 11 and 6. It won't be because of that dunk. So yeah, that's that's the issue there. Um, uh, Hey, but it happens. Like the guy that Vince Carter jumped over in the USA game, it's the only thing we know about his career. Nobody knows anything else unless you've done a deep dive. I don't know his name right now. I know it whenever I watch the highlight and I see it typed out. Yeah, And I, I hate yeah. that it's that way because I played basketball once. I love basketball, but I, I would hate to have gone through and built a, a professional career for myself. And then nobody around the world cares about any of that. All the, the sweat and tears. And the only thing I'm relegated to is, hey, Vince Carter cleared me once and then had one of the most yeah. incredible celebrations afterwards. <laughs> like I would hate that. that. That would sting. That would sting forever. Uh, well, we could go on on dunks uh, forever as, as a topic, honestly. Um, I, I have it in my head already that as we get closer to All-Star Weekend or whatever pod is before All-Star Weekend, I'm sure we'll have, like, an All-Star special. So, like, dunk contest, three-point contest moments. Because I know you probably I'm, – I'm sure you have millions of thoughts about the dunk contest. And, I did a whole 40-minute you know, video yeah, on just the dunk contest. Exactly. So, we, we've got uh, we got great things coming there. Um, I am going to turn it to one last question. One last topic, because it is sort of relevant to what's going on right now, and it's a thought. And maybe I'll get to a mailbag question, or maybe I won't. I kind of want to make that a thing. But either way, I do want your opinions on the play-in that's happening. Because we had the play-in last year in the bubble, and it was awesome. I think for fans, that was a great thing. We got to see, you know, guys duke it out for the last spot. There was plenty of suspense. Damian Lillard, you know, brought his A-game, as he often does. But now we're seeing it for a full season because we didn't have the play in last year until the bubble. Nobody knew that was a thing until the bubble. Now we have like an actual line in the standings where you can see, hey, these are the teams that are in the play in from the seventh seed to the 10th seed. Now, the issue with that is once upon a time, there were teams that were far below 500 or they had a terrible 
stretch and it eliminated them from the playoffs. These are not a playoff team. They're not a playoff quality team. Now they've got a chance to get in because of that. I'm looking at like the Wizards right now. I'm also looking at the Orlando Magic who are Nikola, Nikola Vucevic and Randoms. That's their roster right now. But they we might see them in the playoffs. Every nearly everyone has a chance because of this play-in. The Wizards who were terrible for the first like month or two have a great chance to make the playoffs right now because of this play-in. I want your opinions on that though because it's given teams that never had a chance before they they now have it. So are you just there for are you here for the excitement of it or are you like you know, we need to we need to keep some semblance of what we once had here in terms of top eight, and let that be that. I'm. I am completely fine with it. I think anything to bring more intensity or people actually getting to see um, more do or die moments, more you know, win or go home moments. Um, I think that. I don't think you can go wrong with that. But I guess the worst case scenario is that a, a, a worst team figures it out and gets in. I mean, I don't know how that doesn't bring some sort of positive attention, some underdog attention to that team for a minimum amount, minimum amount of time, or it just doesn't help build stories or more narratives leading into playoffs where some team that shouldn't be there figured out a way to get there. I don't like because what's the format? Um, how, what do you have to? What's how is it? So what it is right now is uh, it's four teams, so seven through ten, and to play for these spots, if I you know don't one hundred percent quote me, but the way it was described, I believe you're gonna have at the end of the season, seven seed is gonna play the A seed, and the ninth seed is going to play the tenth seed, and it's going to be like a duel for those last two spots of seven and eight. So I'm not exactly like I said, I'm like not, I have like ninety five percent sure, you know, of how it works in my head. But that's the gist of it: is that these two teams are going to play each other, and then the winners are going to be organized in some way for the seventh and eighth seed. So basically, right now, you just have to, in either conference, make it to the tenth seed, and then you have a chance to make the playoffs by the end of the season. That's that's it's the gist a one. Of it. Is it a one game playoff? I believe. What, what do you remember? What it was in the bubble last year? Was it winner take all? I can't 100% remember right now. I've, I really should have had it written down. But that's, uh, yeah, that's that's the gist of it. Because I can't even remember how the the Grizzlies and Blazers went last season. Yeah, they announced I, it back in November. I don't, whatever, it, uh, God, yeah, I know. Being in an uninfo- Commenting on something I'm uninformed about entirely here. But it's my kind of a thing. Um, but he, but anything that involves one, two games, I don't think... Um, okay, sorry. Here, here we go. Here we go. Just to help you out a little bit. Um, so, so the teams seven and eight would need to win. Sorry, <clears throat> the teams seven and eight would need only to win one game in two tries. Oh yes. While teams nine and ten would have to win two in a row. Okay. All right, that's a little better. There's, there's something about a seven game series, and I, you know when they moved it from a five game series the first round to a seven game series. The first round of the playoffs. There's something about a seven-game series where you base the, the better team always wins, at least in that moment. There's something about basketball in a seven-game series. You're gonna get the team that either outlasted, stayed healthier, which is all part of the game. Um, so whenever it's you're really breaking it down to one or two games. You're starting to get into that randomness of the NBA, which at any given night, any team could be anybody. Um, 
that I kind of like. I'm kind of for I'm I'm for it. You know, mixing it up. I mean, you're messing with the seventh and eighth seed. Right. Historically, they don't do anything. <laughs> so yeah. he understands that. Like, just mess right, it up. Right. Have fun with just, it. Just to just to clean it up a little bit, so we don't confuse anybody. I might even have to <laughs> cut that uh, a bit. Yeah, right now. yeah. Um, says at the same time. So the teams with the ninth and tenth best record will play a game with the winner of that contest then meeting the loser of the 7 and 8 game for the right to become the number 8 seed. So, it's a lot going on here. It's a little bit different than what I said. But yeah, it's a uh, hey, you know what? I I'm with you. I'm with you on that because I kind of look at the standings right now and I'm like people had the Wizards written off for this season at the beginning. You know, all the jokes about Westbrook and his triple doubles, which we're not going to get to today. I didn't even have Westbrook written down, but that'll be a topic one day. Um, and Beal leading the league and scoring and doing whatever he could, but they looked like they were just headed basically for the lottery. And now all of a sudden, that team has, like you said, has they've got that comeback story. They've got that, you know, they got that thing to add in when and if they get to the play-in. And so I I like it for that reason. Uh, it gives a lot of opportunity for different situations, like you were talking about. It um it makes it so because a team had some shit luck in the first month or two. The rest of the season isn't absolutely pointless and so which i guess by design encourages them maybe maybe not to tank who knows you know that well and obviously now tanking doesn't doesn't even fully work for your picks anymore but yeah i, I i'm with it last year it worked great see so yeah, yeah there's more room for error right now but i i would rather see westbrook and bill competing for something than watching them rest by the end of the season because they're just letting young guys play and they have nothing to play for so i'm with it and it seems like you're with it too Yes. Absolutely. The la- so we're going to go ahead and wrap it up here. If you don't have an answer for this cuz I did add this one late and some I wanted to grab one mailbag question and cuz I'm not even 100% familiar with it. So Jordan was asking relating to the Stockton vid that you did. He said LeBron averaged ah. 11 <laughs> yeah. LeBron averaged 11 oh, assists per game. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's- <laughs> Yeah, yeah. LeBron averaged 11 assists per game and won the championship. What do you think about that? Relating to the Stockton vid. Now, I, it's been a while since I watched those, so I'm not 100% familiar with exactly what he would be referencing or trying to get out of you here. Um, I don't know if you know what he's trying to get out, of, get out of you, but if you do, then let it fly. And if not, we'll see everyone next time. Um, okay, so I just made a simple observation a while ago uh, that, I mean, there's a John Stockton rabbit hole, but this isn't it. The idea was that if your point guard or whoever's handling the ball averages 10 or more assists a game, you don't win the championship. And that was just a fact. You look at, so we're not talking about last year yet. Every single year before that, you don't. And the only person who ever averaged more than 10 assists a game and won was Magic Johnson. And that's a very particular case. He is not the norm. He is an outlier, right? And on top of that, he averaged 11 or 12 or 13. You know what the number two assist um, average was on the team? Seven. James Worthy. And then there was somebody else who averaged five. And I realized that it might seem like a nice, succinct, hot take to say 
if you average over 10 assists a game, you won't win the championship. But then I realized it's not about just the 10, even though that's a very clean number that happens to break pretty evenly over the history of the NBA. Um, it's about assist distribution. All about assist distribution. And if your guard averages or has uh, the bulk, it's like over 40% of your assists, you still won't win. So then you apply this to what happened last year. Well, if you want to mess up things that are have averages or means or things that are typical, well, then just change the format of everything, right? Blow the season up. Stop the season halfway through and start it again in <laughs> Disney World, right? In, in odd circumstances, a circumstance where random players are putting up 50 points a game. These circumstances that led to LeBron averaging over 11, uh, over 10 assists a game and winning the championship were very specific to this year. And if you were a, a statistician or anybody studying long periods of time, you would say this year was an anomaly. That's all you'd say. That's what I would say about this year. And on top of that, just look at the assist distribution on the team. The point was that there's a lot of teams, a lot of Chris Paul teams, every John Stockton team, we had Isaiah Thomas teams until he won um, his championships where they were just cranking out the assists. Even Magic Johnson, his highest assist years weren't necessarily the championships years. But when they realized everything couldn't go through them, and it's simple. It's so simple. Everything can't go through a single player. You can't have a bottleneck, right? And if all if with the John Stockton situation, he was averaging 13 assists. Number two on the team was John was Carl uh, Malone, and he was averaging 2.4 assists a game. Like there's the there's the error, there's the the fault right there. It's not about necessarily the 10 assists. The thing is, if you bring another player in who also can distribute the ball or also find the open man, you know what? You're not going to get 10 assists a game. It just happens to break around that number. So I think my theory—it's not even a theory—I just stumbled on. Right? I think that it's proven there's a line where one player can't really average this many assists because it says something very particular about the way you move the ball and who's using the ball and what they could do to you in the playoffs by just surrounding, just cutting that cutting that particular um, pathway off, right? If that's your system. And if we stop that system, that's what you rely on. Well, you know what? It's probably not going to work out for you in the playoffs. So when – and it was weird because Rondo didn't play – he was what was his situation last year? He didn't play all all the season, right? He was out for a while. I he may have had an injury. I th- I feel like it's possible because when he was playing, he he maintained a pretty high assist average. He was out enough for LeBron to rack up enough assists to maintain his average. It was this weird thing that happened. And then all you got to do in the playoff, they just they clearly won. And then I've had more than one person say, ah. Your whole theory sucks now because LeBron <laughs> did it. And, on, and and to just give the man credit, you look at Magic Johnson, and I'll say he's an anomaly, a 6'10 point guard who from day one was a point guard and approached the game a little differently. And, uh, you know, even we still don't see a lot of that, right? LeBron James is an anomaly. You know, maybe he is in that class of a Magic Johnson, right, where – they just break whatever the means are or the typical rules of a game are, you know? So I'll give him that credit. But if you're saying LeBron James, 
in the in a very particular circumstance of last year, averaging 11 assists a game is what blows up a 40-year theory or 40-year proven fact. I, I can't. I'm not on board with that. Like, just let's just look at the numbers here. And I'm not yeah. even a numbers guy, but let's, let's look at the numbers here. Yeah. So that's as far as I've gone in with just becoming complete, completely obsessed with a particular number in the game. But just on your own time, anybody listening, just go back. Go basketball reference. Look at the teams that have won. Usually on championship teams, the leading assist assister is around seven, something like that. And that's it. That's it. Regularly. And then there's somebody who's close with six or five. And that's just distribution. That's all it is. Ball movement, right? So, sorry, yeah. John Stock. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, LeBron himself, once upon a time, I believe 2017 Cavaliers oh. said, and I quote, we need a fucking playmaker. I remember those exact words. And so I don't even think it's it's, it's even that complicated. Uh, yeah, like you said, with distribution, team has more playmakers, which playmaking is not only boiled down to assists, obviously, but there's a lot of playmakers that happen to rack up a good number of assists. Team has multiple playmakers. Team has multiple avenues of scoring, you know, setting guys up. And there you go. Those are your teams that win championships mostly. And then, yeah, that was <laughs> that's hilarious. The the anomaly and everything that led up to last year. And Rondo, I believe, I can't think he might have. It was either an ankle or a finger that led to that happening. Whatever it was. Yeah, you know, it, it was, there was a specific circumstance. But yeah, a lot of the times the team is going to need more than one guy letting it, letting it go, you know. I, I get what you're saying there, and I, that, that's funny. Jordan was was waiting for that one. I feel like he's wanted to ask you that for a long time. <laughs> you talked a bit, but there you go. I, I, I think I got a message from him a while ago at some point. Somebody got in my DMs a long time ago, over and over again about this thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. It's, I'm glad because that means that somebody paid attention. But. I mean, even just the fact that what what are LeBron James' assist numbers? What are his averages? Like, he clearly was playing outside of his averages at this particular in last year's last year's uh, championship run. Like, it, it's not his mean. It's not his average. It's not what he typically does. So he had to do something superhuman, you know, in a lot of capacities, getting the, getting them back to playing, you know, all the everything just to to set it up so they can actually win that championship. Um, I mean, he deserves a lot of credit, but I don't think it's uh, it a—it's one of those things you would throw out if you're trying to figure out the averages or the means or something like that. Right, right. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because so I, uh, I believe that was his, the highest assist mark of his career and obviously leading the NBA in assists last year as well. So, hey, it happened. It happened. He, he, broke, a, he broke a trend, you know? It happens. Yeah. It was, it happens sometimes, um, but that doesn't take any credit away. Even though it was an anomaly and it took circumstances for that to happen, the Lakers were—I don't know if they were favorites last year with the Clippers and all that—but they were one of the favorites. So you know, it, it was perfect storm. Um, no, and, and, I, and I, don't, I don't discount the championship at all. I think yeah. it was every year is a very specific set of circumstances, including who's able to play, who gets injured, all that stuff. Um, it's a story every year, and whoever wins that gets full credit for winning it. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's how I feel about it. Even you know, if you mention the circumstances that were 
present, that doesn't necessarily mean you're discrediting them, unless that's your specific goal, which often is on Twitter. Speaking of Twitter and DMs, you were talking about you, you feel like you've seen those messages. Yeah, I've had I've had people in my DMs like finishing arguments with themselves from months apart. Right. I, I swear it just happened. Like there was like I hadn't seen the message request and he wrote this long message that was there from like December. And then so earlier this month, like I saw it pop up. And then he finished the argument. He like kept going, but one date said like twelve, ten, twenty, and the others like two, two, twenty-one. I'm like, I didn't even see the first one, and he completed he it. Back. Yeah, <laughs> what'd you say? I said no. He came back. He followed through. Yeah. That's good. I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, I, the the Jordan for caring and commenting. Good for you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Consistency, consistency. That's that's what Did we you respond. No, because the topic was uh, it, it was more of like a in his feels type of thing, and like I, I just don't really do I just don't really do that to be like if you hit me up in my DMs and you're in your feelings over something that I said in a video from 2018. Well, first of all, I have to go back and see what I said because sometimes my stances change after more information. Sometimes I don't remember what I said in 2018. Like that's you know different times. So yeah, no, I I didn't. But hey, I like I like the consistency, and uh, hopefully everyone likes the consistency with the podcast as well. We are here every single Monday. Um, of course, we ended up around like an hour and 40 minutes. It seems like this time, but hey, like I said, doesn't matter to me. That's because the conversations were so good. That is why Storyteller is here. Um, we will be back next Monday, and uh, the links to the podcast in this. Uh, the links to the podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts are in the comment section and description. You can find Storyteller's channel there, his Twitter. And, uh, yeah, if you have any closing thoughts, uh, you can let them fly. And in the comment section, if, if you want to keep seeing Storyteller, man, let us know because I'm enjoying this. So we hope you all are, too. All right. Wait. Am I supposed to say something? You say something? Oh, yeah. I was just I, I, I just asked if you had any like, closing thoughts and then we'll get out of here. Yeah. If not, we'll go ahead and slide. You dunk it, man. Just... Dunk on people. Just dunk on them, please. Everybody. That's all I want to see. That's how you that's how that's how you, That's how your uh that's how your basketball journey started. Y'all have to go back to the last yeah. podcast for that story. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well hit the like button, comment, sub, hit the bell next to the channel name if you want notifications, and we will see you all next week.